0: Hello and welcome to Gone Fishing, a podcast from the Northeast Business Resilience Centre, aka the NEBRC, focusing on all things cyber and fraud related. Our aim is to help raise awareness and understanding amongst business audiences, supporting them to be better prepared and protected from the growing issue of cybercrime and fraud. I'm Rebecca Chapman, Director of the NEBRC and a Superintendent at South Yorkshire Police, with 30 years policing experience across uniform and CID. Today I'm very honoured to be speaking to Tony Sales, co-founder of We Fight Fraud, and Dr Nicola Harding. The We Fight or Fraud organisation is an organisation set up with a deep understanding of how criminals think and a shared passion for the fight against fraud and financial crime. Dr Nicola Harding is Director of the Centre of Crime for Law and Justice at Lancaster University and Nicola works at We Fight Fraud with Tony amongst many other projects. Tony it's really great to see you again thank you so much for joining us uh, just to update the listeners some of us were lucky enough to see you speak at our annual event last year it's fair to say that your story leading to the position that you're in today is utterly fascinating uh, and in fact you've written a book about it haven't you
1: I have indeed um, uh, thanks for having me and thanks for having me uh, just at your Christmas studio it was good uh, so many important people in the room and that way you can kind of get things done. So it was really good to see and everyone kind of using all the resources that you use, I thought was amazing, to be honest. So it was an honour to be there myself. So thank you. You're
0: welcome. We we really wanted to be able to share your story and the messages from it with our sort of wider stakeholders. So really grateful that you've come back and you're being part of our uh, our very first Gone Fishing podcast series. So maybe you could start by telling us a bit about how you got into the world of crime and your experiences of this.
1: Yeah, I mean, so, you know, at seven years old, my uncle lowers me into a pub to go and open the door. I'm kind of the smallest out of the group. And so I fit through the gap nicely. And that kind of then leads me into a a world of crime already. You know, my mum and dad have kind of left very early on in my life that creates a need in me forever more that i'm always going to crave stuff right and i'm brought up by my grandparents they can't afford the types of clothes that all the other kids my age are wearing and that you know it leads to a lot of problems mentally really within me of insecurities and you know things going on in my mind that uh, as a kid you don't understand and i just wanted to be different i just wanted to get out of that zone i wanted to make money and i, I believe that money would take me to somewhere different it didn't in the end you know it, it took me to a place like or where all criminals go and that ends up in prison um so you know like i often say there's no glamour to crime and i, I i've lived it i've not just i've experienced it my whole life until i changed it all around you know like i know what that life's about from the, the way that kids are now i've been immersed in it for so long so when you realize how much rubbish it is and just you know a dreadful environment and and that's what creates criminals you know the the state of humanity in the way that we have children you know my mum and dad really are the creators of what goes on because they're not able to take care of me as a as a kid it's something that in adulthood i would make sure that i'm continuously there for my kids like I, I need to be in the life, it's actually, you know, finding out, you know, how I'm pushing my trauma onto my own kid, changes me as a person, because I realised for the first time that, wow, this is a circle, you know, like of trauma, that's just, just creating crime, and the crime, it, it, it's fitting what I've done, I just wanted to be someone different, right, so it, if you look at all the crimes I committed this identity theft it goes hand in hand like there's violent streaks that come out there's a whole understanding of all of this stuff and then meeting my business partner today adam boom who totally flipped the whole thing on his head and made me look at things from a different perspective and then understanding it for other criminals you know making them change making them see things within themselves that they didn't think yeah and Seeing the impact that that has, thanks to Nicola, you know, we're an amazing team that come together and can achieve amazing things just by making people understand what the problems are, because no one's even thought about those problems. You know, if you're, I I remember having a conversation with Andy, who I said, well, you know, how many kids that come through the police system have got the same sort of problems I have? He says, all of them. Yeah. So he says it's mundane. You see it so much that uh, it, uh, where's the differences? Yeah. I said, but surely therein lies the problem. Like if we are seeing these kids come through, and you know, cyber's very different because it comes from a different class of people as well, not. Poverty-stricken kids don't really often get involved in cyber, unless it's the back end of it, maybe the money mule inside, or you know, getting involved in a little bit of fraud, or becoming an ID mule, or something like that. That they can open up a bank account for a criminal network that's going to be away from them and offline. They come from different pers- uh, a different perspective. So, crimes evolving in a way that are predicted because it's so obvious that when it's online. It breeds to others that don't have money, that want to have the nice coats, the nice bits and pieces that they need. And it all comes from that exact same standpoint as what I did as a kid just back then. It was much more physical. You could go into the shops as shops existed, you know, that kind of stuff.
0: Why do you think you picked fraud rather than, I don't know, burglary or anything else? I think because
1: it was... It just came naturally to lie to me. I wanted to be someone else, right? So every time I could go, he starts with sponsorship forms. You know, after the pub incident, I go door to door with sponsorship forms and we're just seeing the reactions of other humans. Oh, you're doing a really good thing kind of drives you even more. And you're feeling like a, it's weird. You're feeling like a love, I suppose, from the people that you're getting. And that becomes more than the money. For me, that was more. You know, getting having these personas that could experience these feelings from other people of goodness, like, of we my own environment, I'm rubbish, right? But as someone else, I can get different emotions, and that that probably drove me a lot more. And so that that naturally leads into being someone else in adulthood. You know, meeting as you go through life, meeting girls and having relationships. You know, I'm probably lying in all the relationships I have as a as a young man because. I'm not emotionally matured enough to face the demons that I've got myself, you know, that doesn't happen until much later in life. And and only as I'm going through all this stuff, I'm just getting better at explaining it because I think it's really important for the others out there to understand because I'm sure that they've all got the same emotions that I would have. And I, I'm just in a really lucky position to ha- have an Andy, to have an Adam and to have a Nicola that I can ask these questions of and get honest answers, you know, and then we can move forward.
0: So at one point, I think you were given the title Britain's Greatest Fraudster. I think that was a Sun newspaper that gave you that, Same with with you, you'd done internet fraud enabling to steal nearly 30 million quid, and obviously you've written the book, The Big Con. Just give us some insight into kind of how you developed from a kind of low-level fraud into into more organised crime and high-level.
1: The, the systems are always the same, right? So when it, the financial system comes in in 1974, you know, we get the uh, the Credit Act, yeah? Once the Credit Act comes in, it's inevitable what's going to happen, you know, that the more debt there is, the more money that gets made, the more in society we can drive wages, we can drive all these things that matter, right? Um, and so we need to have that financial system working in that way. Uh, I just tapped into it, I, I, and with each crime that I did... I understood more about identity. You know, I actually had this conversation yesterday with someone, yeah, where I said that you know the internet's no different. It's just all identity. Every single thing is identity. Well, then I'm a master in it, yeah, because I've been doing this thing since a child, and it doesn't matter. There are no new scams at all. Everything is an is an old scam with a new spin. So as I go through my criminal career. I obviously learn, that £10,000 triggers that. Okay, if I do 1,500 quid there, that triggers that. If I stay underneath that, that won't trigger. If I cover the work details, the home address, if I've got the mail diverted, if I've got access to a bank account, all these things are tick, 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 tick. If I can get access to an Experian credit account. Now, before, or Equifax, or Cool Credit, or TransUnion, or whoever it may be, these all become build-ups in a picture of information that I'm going to utilize. And the, it doesn't matter the size of the scam then, right? Whether I'm going for a TV that's 3000 or a mortgage that's $300,000. they are both the exact same thing if I've got all the right information. And understanding that going through, I was able to organize crime gets involved in stuff. Yeah, so like... It, within the organized you, you'll know this well Becky yeah within the organized crime world criminals loan stuff out to other criminals to get their wares back yeah they make more money by you know selling drugs or whatever it is and sometimes those people run away they steal things from those criminals and in the past people would be killed for that um and then I fell in with a crime group that I kind of Change that whole perspective and said, "Well, hold on a minute. Like maybe there's a different way to get the money back from these guys, you know." And I figured out different ways of getting the money back by utilizing their ID and making them do stuff. That's now what is because the, their life before you've upset some really dangerous people, and they're playing in a world where stuff like that is going to happen. So you know those sort of things. And then you just it, once you're immersed in organized crime, things come to those people at a level like never before you know before you know you've got a mortgage broker before you know you've got a car dealer you've got 10 people working in banks you can do transfers you can do account takeovers you know like account takeovers were an everyday thing because everyone was doing them and now it's just all moved online so there's no difference in the processes we're still all looking for mother's maiden name my favorite pet you know like your date of birth all the time we are using these stupid questions yeah that everyone can get hold of we're in trouble and we, we need to start thinking like that. It's got to go past passwords very soon.
0: So, and, and you say, you mentioned all of this. Was it really that easy?
1: Yeah, it still is. You know, the terrifying thing is, yeah, it's still as easy. Now, in today's world, I get to test this stuff with ethics in the background um, to show, you know, look, guys, this is the problem. St- the problem still exists in while You're all thinking, A, the criminal's thinking B, C, D, F, G, H, I, J, yeah, and then miles down the road. And Nicola allows that to happen in that way. You know, she kind of can understand the stuff. I mean, the first time I ever took Nicola, I'll let her tell you, but I took Nicola on a test with me for the first time, and she kind of saw a change in me. And, and only if you're a criminal will you understand that. You know, most criminals, when before they're going to commit a crime, have a poop. Yeah, they can't help it because their adrenaline is, they just can't help it. The change, it's the change, yeah? It happens, bang, now you're in the zone, yeah? And once that happens, like, you can't stop it, yeah? right. Like, you're in the zone, the opportunity is there and you're going to take it. And uh, that uh, nowadays, having a doctor explore that with you when that's actually happening can be so beneficial to police forces, governments, businesses, everywhere around the world to understand those sort of things.
0: So Nicola, just kind of bringing you in there. So Tony Tony mentions obviously his childhood and you, you're obviously doing a lot of research into the mindset of a criminal and a fraudster. Do you think sort of um, family intervention is the way forward for this kind of thing? Yeah, I think it's... Um... There's a whole, it's not just
2: family intervention, it's societal intervention. If we want to really stop fraud, we have to completely change society because it's set up at the moment to create fraudsters. It is currently, um, you know, right from from birth, really, social services, the welfare state, um, everything is set up. The conditions are just, a, a, you know, a breeding ground for people. I think you asked a crucial question before okay, you're into crime, but why not burglary? Why why fraud? And I think that when we have children growing up in these conditions, obviously Tony was seven. He did do burglary first. It was his first thing with a wider group because of his physicality. He was small, right? The difference that happened in Tony's scenario is he's clever. So he's clever and he sees patterns and he's able to see um you know the predictability and a lot of that comes from like I hope you don't mind me talking about you like this Tony but a lot of that comes from his childhood trauma when you've been through that trauma you have to be able to identify patterns it's a matter of life or death you are sensing the tension in the room when people walk in when there's violence these kids become highly attuned to other people because they're walking on eggshells from before they could walk so they kind of become so highly attuned to the behaviors of other people and when you understand the behaviors of other people and the predictability of people and the predictability of systems when you start to kind of go okay so now I understand that I understand that no one's caring for me no one's looking for me this is life or death I've got to look after myself how am I going to do it okay I'm going to manipulate those behaviors and systems and so it absolutely you know if you took Tony and put him into an affluent family with two parents who were at home, you know, no domestic violence, all these types of things. If he was given the the opportunities that we assume every child in the country should have or have a right to, you know, he wouldn't be sat here as Britain's greatest frauds. They'd probably be working in government or something similar. You know, his life course would be very, very different. And so, we need to think about the life chances that we give um, you know, all our children and not make assumptions about what family life is like and what interventions should we put in place. Um, you know, I'm not saying that social services should be removing children or anything like that. Um, what I'm saying is that we need to think about the most marginalised in society and realise that that's not, um, you know, it's more people than what we think. and. Um, if we don't create better opportunities for people they're going to go after the criminal opportunity because they've got to survive and for youngsters coming from backgrounds like that it's a matter of life or death it's self-survival because they haven't got you know those people creating that kind of padding and safety net for them they've got to create their own safety net and that's that's how young youngsters particularly from
0: deprived backgrounds get into organized crime because that becomes their safety net yeah, I mean, it's the same across sort of other genres, isn't it? Like cybercrime and and counterterrorism, you know, and the, that's why the prevent programme that the police do is so important. Um, just um, tell us a bit about the organisation We Fight Fraud um, and how does your research fit into that, Nicola? So We Fight Fraud
2: just intrigues me. It intrigues me from the moment I met uh, Andy and Tony. So um, I... Just a bit of backstory, I met, I met Adam and Tony at, uh, at the party of a uh, mafia princess who lives up here in Lancashire. And my expertise actually is lived experience. How do we take people's lived experience who've been through the criminal justice system, who've committed crime, how do we take that and make it something useful and make it meaningful, not just, you know, consultation or, or whatnot? So I met Adam first, who's the, the, the nicest human being you've ever met in your life. And he said, oh, you must meet my business partner, Tony. And um, Tony will tell you if my eyes could have rolled any further back in my head, they would have. Because I'm used to having approaches of former criminals who think they're all this. And I've got no interest in hearing criminal war stories. Like, I don't want to relive the glories of the past. I want to know what you're doing now. And um, so we kind of... You know, he told me, and he was like, "But just go away, go away, and check us out. Do your research, type thing." And I did, and um, and they started a just just after we first met. We went into lockdown, and they put on a annual conference, now annual conference. We fight fraud live and did it online, and I actually got ethical approval, and I I watched that as a research project because I wanted to understand. Okay, you've got a former police chief, former hacker. a former fraudster like what are they gonna do like blow me away basically and um and it did because what i realized is um particularly working with tony is that in criminology we have lots of theories about crime and and i realized kind of i already knew that criminologists don't really know what they think they know the same with most academics because they separate the real world from the academic world And I'm all about reality. Like, I, you know, if it's not real, I'm not interested. We don't want to deal in fairy tales. We want to deal in truth because that's what we can actually use to change policy or change practice. And what I got at that first We Fight Forward Live was a whole dose of the truth. And so I just wanted to kind of work with them more and be, I kind of like, they've adopted me now. But I do feel I've kind of bullied myself in of like, well, you know, if we did this research project... And between Tony and I, we came up with the rapid response to fraud and financial crime, which is where, as Tony said earlier, he showed me, um, because all of this time I'm just hearing what he's saying and hearing what the team are saying, um, this really unique kind of um, fraud prevention, you know, they go in and do testing on firms, break into banks and show them how they could steal all the money and all this. It all sounds really exciting, but I just heard about it. And seemingly I passed enough of Tony's tests for him to show me. So we went to Liverpool, we did the testing and um, I picked a building that um, used to house the um, some a governmental department and I thought it didn't anymore. So I thought this would be a good test case because it was safe enough, like go and have a look. And um, we went and had a look one night and he kind of was talking, you know, telling me, oh, well, it's about the lighting, it's about this, it's about that, you know, that kind of loads of things. And as we're walking around the corner, I like talk like this. And um, I notice I'm talking for a long time and he's no longer listening, he's like gone. So I think, oh God, I better show up. something's about to happen. And um, so I just noticed a woman walks past us that way. And I thought there's something that's triggered something. So I'm just watching him at this point and realize like his the, his face had changed, like his eyes had changed. And I was no longer there to him. Um, So I crossed the road to go and have a look. And, um, oh, he just went, what's the time? And I was like, it's, I think was like five past six or something like that. And he went, okay. And that was the last thing he said. So I crossed the road to just go and watch. And it was, I just wish I could have had David Attenborough like narrate it because it was like watching um, you know, uh, lion stalk its prey and it was literally like he went he took a couple of steps back and he was just stood there and I'm like, what's he gonna do? And then he just went for the door and as he went for the door, someone else came to the door and it's like he'd timed it. It was like watching a ballet. Um exactly so that person held the then opened the door for him, but it was just a second off and he would have been fooled you know he, he would, it would have been foiled and he wouldn't have got in because they would have expected him to open the door so I was like oh that was good but there's another door inside how's he gonna get through that so I'm like I'd walk too far up the road I couldn't see through the door ran down the street like trying not to look like an idiot because at this point I was like pretending to be on my phone or something like I said I do not have any of Tony's skills so I, he's so undercover I'm so like the weird woman that's just wandering around the street and um, I look upstairs, up. Um, well, I was like, where is he? Where is he? Where's he gone? And the next thing I hear, bang, bang, bang. And these two flights of stairs up. And I was like, oh, you can actually do this, can't you? Amongst feeling like I was going to be sick. And can you please get out of the building as quick as possible? Um, to which he did. And it was my first education into, oh, okay, so these aren't just things we talk about. These are things that are done. This is actual skills and expertise. It's not just about knowing how to shoulder surf or knowing how. Social engineering isn't about linguistics. It isn't about the things that you say. It's how you hold yourself. It's your body language. And it's having the guts to do something that no matter what, you you know that a tiny slip up can get you caught. And what do you do then? But still going for it with full confidence as though you should absolutely be there. And it was at that point I realized, God, we've got so much to learn and maybe Tony and the team can teach me. So we started doing these research projects once a year. We've done two of them now, where we do a 72 hours in a city. We're given a task. The first year we looked at the return to work after COVID. And the second year we looked at how to onboard um like KYC into Challenger banks, you know, like your, your new Neo app banks. Um, so two very different projects because it's about the social engineering it's about the digital it's the physical is almost kind of um you know just part of that they don't really separate so being able to get that research means that we've got insights now in academia to do with fraud and financial crime that we make publicly available to everyone they're all written up within 28 days and anyone can download them take those ins- insights and kind of Use them within their businesses and that, but that didn't exist before and it doesn't exist anywhere else. Everything else that's written about fraud and financial crime comes from the data or it comes from theory because actually, not very many people well, nobody else apart from myself in academia, I haven't seen anyone else do it anywhere else. Usually, if there's anyone doing kind of pen testing or whatnot, they stay behind that, you know, non disclosure agreements and it's just for the company. So, this is the kind of first-of-a-kind type of research that combines testing with lived experience. It's research informed, it's evidence-based and it's lived experience driven and so you know it feels like something that could really change things and that's what motivates me to be part of the team.
0: Yeah I think that 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 kind of research would really uh, provide a a mandate almost for police going forwards won't it To, to act upon evidence that's, uh, that's in the research world, rather than just trying to do what they think is right. Almost,
2: yeah, absolutely. You know, knowledge is like everyone says, knowledge is power. I always say, knowledge is armor because when you know, you can protect yourselves. You know, we don't we don't invest enough in prevention, um, and by doing these forms these forms of research and testing, they're the best ways to protect yourself. You know, you would want to know where the holes are, wouldn't you, so that you can plug them. Um, you know, and with Cybercrime and now it looks like fraud becoming seen as the most recent threats to national security is something we all need to be concerned about. It's not just a police problem anymore. So kind of having as much knowledge as possible and then how do you action that, you know, this is, it's exciting obviously to as an academic, it's a new form of knowledge. This is This is kind of like paradigm shifting stuff really which sounds quite grand, but we need it. We need it in cybercrime. We need it in fraud and financial crime because we are so on the back foot that we can't do things the way we've always done things because we're just going to get the same results. The biggest thing we can do is underestimate our adversary. Like I said, Tony's clever. Fraudsters are clever. Criminals are clever. They're not stupid. The ones that are stupid are the ones that get caught and kind of you know in ridiculous ways that we find out about the ones that are clever we don't even know who they are they're just out there doing it you know so we can't under ever underestimate and we can't underestimate the value of this form of knowledge because whether we like it or not you know some people may not want to work with former criminals um, or may not really value what we do but whether we like that or not this is the future because if it isn't then things are going to go very badly from here on out.
0: Yeah, I suppose in my thirty years in the police, I've often found that the uh, the best detectives are the ones that have the most kind of informants or listen the most to the criminals because then they find out how how things got done. Um, you know, and then they can they can almost stay one stage ahead. So, Tony, coming back to you, what what made you want to change and shine a light on these activities, and and how did you come to set up We Fight
1: Fraud? Well, I guess that. Um i I'm, so the change happens in two ways right so there's a police officer who tells me that a, an identity that I've stolen um, is from a dead person that's the first realization that there's people that are linked to what I'm doing up until that point every ID every name is just a name on the screen uh, or a name on a book that I then make identification to with either me or my mate's face on, right? So I only ever get them like that until she awakens me. Um, And then when I'm finally caught and I'm in prison, my wife comes to visit me. And when she comes on the visit, uh, she's got my son who was seven or eight then. uh, and She's holding his hand and she walks in and he's just crying. And... I'm like, what's wrong with him? She says, uh, what do you think was wrong with him? Like, you're in prison again, you idiot. And it's that that kind of I realise that, oh, wow, I've pushed my trauma onto him now. And what I'm doing is now affecting the emotions of my own kid. So I actually go back to the wing that night and change like I you know I want to get involved in fraud prevention I actually talk about it with a couple of people on the wing which went down okay I guess but it was you know it was wanting to understand and then coming out of prison I just kind of wanted to get involved in how could I get involved in fraud prevention I didn't even know what the words were you know? I had to sit and google and kind of go through things and go and uh, like I've always kind of known about business naturally I've got a really sharp business brain yeah? hence why the fraud thing really worked well for me because you have to have a good business brain to do that right and so I knew that those skills were transferable I know I've got a, a drive I'll be up first in the morning I've always had that skill uh, I'll be last to go to bed at night yeah and still driving everyone when everyone's down I'm still rallying everyone I, I, that was a, an old skill I had could I transfer that over and I just started going to just go meet people at these free kind of, kind of a bit like, you know, the they're run by corporates. The first one I went to was run by Amex, yeah. And I just showed up and was just talking and just got talking to one of the guys there who became a good friend, Alan Smith, who still works in loss prevention today, um, who kind of said, told me a bit more of where to go and look. And then I made a Vice documentary um called how to get away with stealing yeah and that kind of elevated me up because it got like some mad amount of views very quickly uh and people were kind of sharing it and then it gets like legendary status without me even knowing it because uh, i'm not even thinking i'm just being me yeah and just showing them this kind of stuff but it's the first time it's ever been done no one's ever looked at fraud in that way before um, and so, you know, that's in 2011, and then I use that to send to a conference, uh, I go to the conference and decide that I'm going to get involved in loss prevention, and very quickly, uh, the conference picks me up, we have a chat, I say I'm going to do this physical pen testing thing, like, Look, if I was a criminal nowadays, I'd use a rubber ducky, Look, like, this thing's dangerous, wow, I don't even know where it does, but I tell you that if I've got one, I know I'm going to be able to steal everyone's data and and mess them up. Yeah, so should we try something? And then I, I got to test some huge brands straight away and impact bang. While wow. like, I didn't even see the data impact, it was actually um, it was actually one of the clients. So I showed back up with all their files. Yeah, like and I just went. This, I think this might be a problem. Yeah, and this is like in 24 hours. So we would do something in 24 hours to give them like a little wake up. Yeah, of like, look, this is what we could do. And So when I kind of showed back up with that, he was just like, I, I never even saw it. And he he said, wow, this is brand reputation. And that's when everything kind of synced in my head of, right, I need to think about a super team that will allow us to change how the narrative goes we need to be able to show it we need to be able to get it out there and you know because it's not just to corporates every day where you know i do a lot of speaking events for corporate events right and i always say at the events that like look, we're all here in our corporate capacity but the reality is at some point throughout the day we're all going to become consumers right so it's getting it to the other consumers that don't understand this stuff that are not in our industry and making them aware of the risks that they face just by holding their own information. Yeah. And so that's, you know, I've known that from back then, like I said, identity theft for me is it within me. It's only the same thing online. I know it frontwards, backwards better than all of the credit reference agencies. I mean, now I've told them things that happen in their processes that they didn't even know about. Yeah. Because it's vulnerabilities that as a criminal, you look for that to utilize, the stuff that you've got you know and, and that's what I'm all about is showing that stuff and so it was a natural progression eventually to get in. Andy for me really changed the game you know like having Andy on board is full-on credibility yeah because that's the ex-head of fraud for the Metropolitan Police putting his arm round. we fight fraud and saying look this really is something different yeah and that you know he enhanced because he says you know he, he says it publicly you know he worked in the police for 30 years like you becky and he says he can't think like me he says no matter how he tries you know and he's seen it on testing like we've been on tests for huge companies yeah and he's he's worried soul's not been able to break like, and i'm like oh, don't worry about it stop worrying everyone you're all worrying. don't worry i've got this like and then Because I'm already aware of the same vulnerability that exists in all of us, yeah? We're all too bloody nice. That's the problem, yeah? And someone like me is going to manipulate that and cause havoc. And that's what everyone needs to start understanding. And so now there's a natural need for We Fight Fraud. There's a natural... Desire for we fight for by lots of different people, but we always stay. We don't get corrupted by companies. You can't just give us money to shut up. You can't just slow us down in our processes of what we're doing because we have a, 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 a you know, the whole company. The wrongs that I did as a person, I will forever more want to say sorry for. I will forever more want to give that information out because kids old ladies vulnerable people all these people are still suffering today yeah and like that's why i'm willing to stand up to it. and i've told you this before becky i get death threats for it all of this stuff happens yeah like really really happens but i don't care i accept it and it is where it is yeah like anyone serious is not going to come and tell me anyway so i won't know about the real ones
0: yeah you it's a, see it's a, it's a real insight from the other side and one that you don't get very often. So I know there's a there's a few people that do it. Um, you, you work with one of them, don't you, Solomon? Um, yeah. So yeah, X X can yeah. pack a, you know, slightly yeah. different background to you, but but similar in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah, I mean, me and Soul are kind of like, we're soulmates, exactly, you know, like, we are really soulmates, and the first time, we was actually put together by Sightfast, so the banks in the background knew that there was a natural desire to get us two together, yeah, and that was Mike Hayley that done that, and we'll be forever thankful for him for doing that, um, but once we met, it was love at first sight for the pair of us, and... um we just have a natural thing together. I mean, you know, why I'm getting through the, the shoulder surfing in, souls hacking all of the CCTV to remove any stuff of me ever there, you know, and this is the other level that we go to. And so naturally we complement each other. And these are the problems that we're now seeing in society is the hacker for hire that everyone needs to start worrying about, you know, especially with the old types of Tonys that there are out there in their abundance.
0: So, um, in terms of the future, then, for cybercrime and fraud, where do you think the biggest related threats are for business today?
1: In their people. You know, the, the, your show's called Gone Fishing, right? Herein lies the biggest problem in the world. Everyone's got an email address nowadays, yeah? Everyone, if you haven't been to Have I Been pawned? you should go now. You know, these are basics in today's day and age to understand has my information been compromised can someone get to my email address because these databases exist when you go on a site do you give your information away these are all processes that come down to what the person that is doing it is us we have to put our information out there somewhere for it to appear on some sort of list for someone to get to us and then if that does happen which to 99 percent of us that's definitely happened Then when you do get an email, what is it you do? You know, like, what is it you are going to do? Now, are you going to walk up to a stranger in the street and tell them all your personal information? Are you going to tell them when you last slept with your spouse partner are you going to tell them when how your your money troubles are troubling you and you know what money you've got are you not going to do that so but online because there's a screen in front of us and we're behind tapping on the screen we give this information away freely and that is build-ups of stuff so making people understand where they should go so we don't have a non-click policy we have a you know if you do your training with us we would make sure that you click the link that comes through to you yeah that's asking for stuff but we want you to understand what they're asking for so you know we do a lot of phishing exercises where we get people to click through we want them to input information but we get like not getting us this time that's what we want yeah because on the first time we may have got them you know and in some of our tests we end up getting ceos or cfos or whoever it may be because the phishing attacks can look so great nowadays yeah so But we want to teach people what they look like without fear. Yeah, Don't be scared. That's the last thing we want. We want everyone to all be on the same page and understanding what it is we should be doing. And I think that would be the the best thing that we could say.
0: So if you had like sort of one key message to give to a business about their cybersecurity and their fraud prevention, what would it
1: be? Uh, It would be to make sure that you train your staff in how it all happens. Yeah, not just one tick box exercise, which is what all the regulators say, no tick boxing, right? You can do your tick box, but you have to go beyond that. Yeah, like, and that's what this is all about, is going beyond and understanding. Because if you understand as something happens, you know, your whole team become much stronger. Because, you know, like, ah, and if you can do it in an engaging way that allows your staff to really understand how important nowadays cyber security is because for every company out there, you know, it has to be in the top three now. You know, if there's no, if you're serious about business and you don't have serious cyber, then you're not going to be taken seriously because you're only going to become a victim. And then that, because you become a victim depreciates the value of that company. You know, like how much stuff do you take seriously? We take our pride in ourselves of, making sure that all of our processes are done and making people understand what things mean when they click on things, not just everyone panicking. You know, what we hate is panic. So, you know, never panic and understand what you're doing and make your staff understand that exact same journey. Um, And that's important.
0: So how how do you think organisations such as us, the NEBRC, how can we play a role in all of that?
1: i think you guys are a really great bridge for all of like you know you've got access to you know the processes that happen the records of of crimes that happen um you know you've got access to high level people within the bank you've got access to people like we fight fraud, you've got access to all the agencies that matter right and all of it like uh, the more you know about this stuff the more you're going to understand, you know, and by being part of you guys, by being with you guys, um, that only be- adds value to any company out there that, that needs that, you know, because you're giving people the right information and the right tools. You're not just going down. You're not just, you're not driven by money by companies like us. So you want to actually give the right advice. And that's really important.
2: I'd add to that as well to say that um, there's an awful lot of information out there now about fraud and financial crime and not all of it is what you should be wanting to pass on to your staff. So to have an organisation like yourselves to curate, like actually these are the things you need to know, like a business has enough on its plate without thinking, oh God, how do I navigate this fraud prevention kind of landscape? they they need it kind of easy and delivered to them we need to make this as easy as, for organisations as possible and not confusing and not feel like a barrage of kind of fraud influencers trying to get their their bit in needs to be good you know evidence based kind of this is what you should do in our in our thing and the latest threats as well and i think you guys do
0: that really really well that's great thanks so that's been Absolutely brilliant to talk to you both today. I I could talk to you both for hours on end. It's a a great subject to talk about and Tony's experiences are second to none. But that's all we have time for today. (laughs) So thank you very much for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks for having us.
1: Yeah, thanks for having us.